0: God is good all the time. All the time. Hey, it's really great to be back with you. I had quite the adventure last week. I'll tell you more about that uh, maybe a little bit tonight and, and certainly on Sunday. A couple of things I would like to, to shout out. First of all, I, I want to let you know that the second Peter edition of the Trail Guide to the Scriptures was released last week. Uh, it will be up on Kindle uh, in the next day or two. But the trail guide has been released. This Remember, we published 1 Peter. This is 2 Peter. There's going to be a trail guide come out, uh, released by Invite Resources, about every three months for the next while. The reason I, I tell you this is, is twofold. First of all, you guys are a part of these trail guides. The messages that I give on Wednesday night... Are 95% of what turns into these books. How many of you were here for our Second Peter study? Well, that is this. And so you guys are a part of this. I also want you to know this is a part of your ministry that goes all over the country and all over the world. I took a look before I walked in tonight, and the Second Peter Trail Guide is. Amazon's number six in the United States as a new release in commentaries. I also want you to know that for every trail guide I've ever made, every trail guide I'm making, and every trail guide I will ever make, all the royalties have been signed over to Christchurch for the rest of my life and beyond. And so this is something that we're just sharing. It's just something we're sharing. You can get a copy in the bookstore. Uh, they're going to be open right after church. And I would love for you to do that. And Jude is coming out next. That'll be our next trail guide that will be coming out. All right, let's take a look at a map. Colossians was probably written or dictated by Paul from a Roman prison in the very early 60s AD. It is written to the people of Colossae. And Colossae is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. So it's about where my my finger is, is where Colossae is. If you ever think, wow, I'd like to see some of these biblical places for myself, you can still go with us. We are taking a pilgrimage in September of this year, and we are going to fly into Cappadocia, and essentially we are going to head this way up through Ephesus, up through Pergamum and all those great areas back to uh, Istanbul, and then we're going to fly down to Athens, and we're going to see Athens in Greece. It's all biblical, and it's all going to be rooted in the scriptures. Our themes are going to be getting to know Paul, particularly on his second missionary journey, and the letters to the seven churches in Revelation will be our focus themes. If you'd like to go on an adventure with us, uh, you can get a brochure out at the Sync Center. A minority population of Jews had resided in Colossae for at least 200 years. It was located in the Lycus River Valley. It had once been a really important city, but by the time Paul wrote, the city had simply declined. We know something about declining cities. Are you aware that St. Louis was once like the fifth largest city in the United States? Well, it certainly isn't now. Uh, We're kind of on the other side of that zenith, and that's exactly where Colosse was. The city was also becoming increasingly isolated. I think it's very difficult for us to understand isolation now because we're so wired and connected. But if you are really, really isolated from the rest of the world, you can get a lot of strange ideas. Some of the weirdest people I've ever met are folks that converted to Christianity in prison and just got a hold of a Bible and never talked to anybody about it. Boy, do they come up with some wild ideas. Uh, And and that's kind of what was happening at Colossae. They're they're isolated, and they only kind of talk to each other. And and they got some pretty weird stuff flying about. The church was planted by one of Paul's disciples named Epaphras, It was almost certainly from him that Paul learned about the church, uh, probably while Paul was uh, in prison, and he also learned about its unique challenges. And then, all of a sudden, ping, God prompts Paul to write a letter to the Colossians, and the rest is history. The Colossian church seems to have been primarily Gentile, and the version of Christianity that formed there was a bit of a fusion. All right, it, it, it was a unique kind of cocktail, if you were, will. It was a fusion of Judaism, uh, early Christian teaching, popular Greco Roman philosophy, a la Stoics, Epicureans, those guys, and then this really peculiar sort of uh, celestial spiritualism. And it all kind of ends up being. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to the baseball games, and if you won, you got to choose your free soda, and and we always used to get a combination of everything, and so we would say, "Give us a little bit of everything," and according to how much of something they put in there, they always tasted a little bit different. Well, the gospel as it existed in Colossae was really different than the gospel as it existed anywhere else. It sort of had its own personality, if you will. There was some stuff they got really right, and there was other stuff they got really wrong. In this section, Paul is really encouraging what they're doing right. Last time I spoke of 12 pieces of Christian gear that equip the church to be the church. Not surprisingly, we got through 10 of them. Uh, For those of you that are new, On going deeper, we go verse by verse through entire books of the Bible, and I'm notoriously slow, all right? I'm notoriously thorough, and I'm notoriously slow, so it's amazing how long it takes me to get through a book of the Bible. So we had 10 things last week. We got through, I mean, 12 things. We got through 10 of them. I thought that was pretty good for me. So let's take a look, review the 10, and then we'll press on. Here we go. First of all, in the life of a Christian, we should be showing mercy. Through the eyes of mercy, the desperate plights of God's wounded but beloved fallen sons and daughters will break our hearts and it will prompt us to action. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. The second virtue is kindness. Christian people need to treat everybody really, really well. And I don't have to agree with you to treat you well. I don't have to approve of what you're doing to treat you well. Kindness isn't about you at all. Kindness is about me. Kindness does not say a thing about the person to whom we're being kind. It says a lot about the person showing the kindness. The third virtue is humility. Humility is a thankful confidence based on the work of Jesus. It's not a synonym for low self-esteem. It's great confidence, but our confidence is in Christ. Number four, gentleness. Gentleness is choosing to show restraint, respect, and honor. And the key is that something gentle shows restraint when it's capable of doing great harm. As I like to say, a mouse can't be gentle. A mouse can be meek, but it can't be gentle because a mouse isn't capable of doing great harm. A grizzly bear can be gentle. We are to be gentle. Number five, patience. Patience is staying in it when life gets hard because you believe it'll be worth it in the end. It's staying in it when life gets hard because you believe it'll be worth it in the end. That's patience. Number six is is making allowances for the faults of others. This is really patience in action, and it refers to working at our relationships within the church. So this deals with what we call EGRs, extra grace required people right? And, and it's, it's staying at it. It's staying at it as brothers and sisters in Christ. Number seven is, is forgiveness. We've all been hurt. Can I just hear an amen from somebody? Life hurts. Paul is saying that it's time to make peace with our hurt, forgive, and move on. The reason some of you can't move on is because you haven't forgiven. And when you choose not to forgive, you choose to allow what hurt you to keep on hurting you. It's by forgiving that you set yourself free. We don't forgive to let perpetrators off the hook. God will take care of them. We forgive to set ourselves free. Number eight is is love. This is agape, the God kind of love. And, and, And for me, it's best summed up this way. God loves us exactly as we are but he loves us too much to leave us that way. You see, we're really strong in our culture today on the first part of that. God loves me just like I am. Yeah, but that's not the end of it. God also loves us too much to leave us that way. You see, if Paul only believed the first part of this, he wouldn't have written this letter to the Colossians. If he has ideas, Colossians, God loves you just like you are. Why would he write a letter of correction? Because God loved them too much to leave them in error. God loves you and I too much to leave us in error. And then number nine is peace. This word denotes a calmness of mind and and soul, spirit, emotions, and body. It's a byproduct of a life in union with Christ. Uh, Peace is is where Christ is. It's what Christ brings to every situation. A lot of times when we are in turmoil, we pray that God would remove the turmoil. But the reality is turmoil is an ongoing characteristic of a fallen world. There's always going to be drama. The, the task is to invite Christ into the midst of our pain. To invite Christ into the midst of our dysfunctions. To invite Christ into the midst of our addictions. To invite Christ into the midst of our lives. For where Christ is, there is peace. There's just peace. And number 10 was thanksgiving. It's gratitude toward God. It's gratitude toward others. It's the antidote to entitlement. And I'm going to argue that Thanksgiving is the preserver of peace. You, when, you get, when you're no longer thankful, you get thinking the world owes you something. You get thinking the world owes you something, you, my friend, are in for disappointment for the rest of your natural life. You know, I always tell people, expect nothing. Put yourself in a position to be pleasantly surprised. Thanksgiving, it's just gratitude. All right, you ready to press on? Here we go, new ground. Oh, already? We're only eight minutes into this. Bam, new ground. Verse 16, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Number 11 is wisdom. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see things as they actually are, not As they appear. Do you know I pray that a lot? Lord, help me to see what's really going on here. Because what appears to be going on often isn't what's going on at all. I learned that about people that complain about stuff in church. What they're complaining about is never what they're complaining about. You got to get under that. What's really going on here? Well, wisdom is that God given ability to see what's actually going on. It's also about sound judgment. You know, Lord, help me to make sound decisions. And it's also appropriating knowledge in useful ways. Have you ever known somebody who's real smart, but they didn't have a lick of sense? Have you ever known anybody that just knew all kinds of stuff, they just couldn't seem to apply it in their life in any sort of way? So, wisdom is about seeing things as they are, it's about sound judgment. It's about appropriating knowledge in, in useful ways. Wisdom is spirit filled processing that leads to spirit filled actions. It's engaging the mind of Christ as a filter in everything we do. You know, water filters are, are sort of interesting. You know, we've got a water filter in our refrigerator. I don't know what it's made of, but I paid for one once. It's got to be gold. And so, so you got this water filter. And what it does, it, it runs the water through the filter. It goes in one way, and it comes out purer. Wisdom is, is the filter that we must run our thoughts, our actions, our emotions through. And if we'll run them through first, they'll come out better. They'll just come out a whole lot better. The Bible tells us over and over that wisdom is something to pursue. That wisdom is something for which we should fervently pray. So you want, a prayer, you want to hear a prayer God always wants to answer? Almighty God, make me wise. That's a prayer God always wants to answer. Wisdom leads to success on one hand, and it keeps us out of trouble on the other hand. There's no downside to wisdom You know, nobody's ever said one time in my life, boy, that person is so wise. Man, that's annoying. Nobody says that. Because wisdom is is the opposite of annoying. Wisdom is, is one of the most incredible gifts. You show me a wise man or woman, I will show you someone other people are drawn to. They're drawn to them. Every person of faith should pray for wisdom. Many lack wisdom, but wisdom always wants to be found. It wants to be found. So if you have a prayer list, I would add wisdom to it every single day. Lord, make me wise. Give me wisdom. What a great prayer. You know, one of the things I I really work with people on is creating distance between impulse and action. You guys know what I'm talking about? You get an impulse, but if you can create distance between that and an action, you'll do a lot less dumb stuff. And you'll say a lot less dumb stuff. Wisdom is the filter that we put between impulse and action. If we run the impulse through the filter of wisdom, what comes out will be very different than if we don't. So wisdom. And then number 12, singing. I I like this. Singing is one of the pieces of equipment God has given us to be effective Christians. And there's three categories of singing presented here. We're to sing the Bible. We're to put the scriptures to song. Anybody come from a tradition that did a lot of putting scriptures to song? You know, it's so funny. uh, The King James, anybody grew up with the King James Bible? Anybody taught that God himself wrote the King James? Okay. Uh, But the King James Bible is such a literary masterpiece. And it sings very, very well. It just sings well, the Psalms, the way they're written. Now, humans today can't understand it, but boy, does it sing well. Well, then you've got the more modern translations. Some of them are actually much better translations from the Hebrew and Greek than the King James, but nothing's ever been translated more beautiful than the King James. The King James just sings well. The newer stuff, the New Living, which I love the New Living translation, you can't sing it. Nothing rhymes. The the King James is is brilliant that way. So singing the Bible is is one of these things. The the second piece is singing established songs. And the third piece is creating new songs to sing. So I really like this. We need to sing the Bible, we need to sing established songs, and then we need to create new songs to sing. Singing is a perfect response to Christ, who was and is and is to come. So a response to a Christ who was the Bible, and is established songs, and is to come new songs, spiritual songs. A relationship with God will always put a song in your heart. It'll always put a song in your heart. It's just what it does. Christian people have always been a singing people. We've always been a singing people, I remember a comedian many years ago. He was talking about the woes of atheism, and he thought the biggest problem with atheists was they had no hymns. You know, what, what do they sing? What do atheists sing? Christians have all this wonderful stuff to sing. Singing has always been a way that Christians have connected to God. It's always been a way to do that. Singing for the Christian is is an upload and a download. We offer ourselves to God in holy surrender. (laughs) And when I think of singing in church, I think of praise and worship, right? Praise and worship. Our Sunday mornings are more praise. Our Wednesday nights are more worship. Both are absolutely essential. But the upload and the download, we offer ourselves to God in holy surrender and in joyful celebration. And God offers himself to us. What is the reward of worship? That you feel better? The reward of worship is communing with God himself. The, reward of, the ultimate reward of Christianity is God. Not what God can do for you. God. Singing is a way God accesses us and we access God. Some of you will not be able to relate to this and I get that, but some of you it's just going to nail. I've had many times in my life when everything seemed to be blown apart and was absolutely challenging and I had to sing myself through it. I had to sing myself through it. The only time I felt free was when I was singing. It was the only time. It was a singer-songwriter when Melissa and I first became Christians by the name of Bob Bennett. Bob Bennett uh, suffered from some, just some really strong anxiety and depression issues that he was very public about, but he wrote a song called I'm Singing for My Life. And his premise was the only time he truly felt right was when he was singing. I've had times in my life where everything just seemed to be breaking loose and the only time I could breathe was when I was singing. Always keep in mind that worship is not entertainment and a worship service is not a concert. And that's why our personal preferences don't really matter. If somebody comes up to me, and boy, this has happened a few times over the decades, and says, I don't like the music, it's very difficult for me not to reply, well, I don't care. (laughs) Because I don't. I don't care. Our personal preferences really don't matter. Now, if you choose your own music and your own playlist, and you don't like it, then shame on you. But when we get to church... We're not here to play my favorite songs or my favorite genre. I like some stuff a whole lot better than other stuff. But all of it is an opportunity for me to worship God. And if I don't take us up on that, I've done myself a great disservice. The worship team are not performers. And we are not an audience The role of the worship team is to lead us before the throne of God, but we have to choose to go there. And I can go to any church that worships in any genre, no matter how bad it may be. And boy, have I been to some bad ones. And if they are truly lifting up the name of Jesus, I can worship God there. I have worshiped God in churches Where I didn't understand a thing anyone said because they were in Honduras or they were in a different country. But I've got to tell you, I can worship God even if I don't know the language. I can worship God even if I don't like the music. I can worship God even if what I'm hearing is not in a million years what I'd ever play. Worship is an opportunity, it's an opportunity. And we either take God up on it or we don't. You see, when we truly worship, we're singing to God and God alone. It's an audience. The question is not whether you like the music tonight. The question is whether or not you chose to commune with God tonight. And the big question is whether or not God was pleased with our praise and our worship. You see, it's not us, it's rating the band. It's God who's rating us. We're so blessed here because we have such talented musicians. And I, we are. I was listening to I didn't even know Stevie played a guitar. I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. And, and, and Landon and, and Justin here tonight and, and when, when Jesse plays and, and when Donovan plays and, and various people play, you know, I, I just think, my Lord, you've just given us such incredible talent. So how do we choose what music we play? We, we, we choose based on the hearts of those who lead. Uh, we choose based on the, the sensibilities of, of who we are as, as a church culture. And one of the things that's really hard is that we're an intergenerational church. Do you know how hard that is? We're an intergenerational church. So almost nothing we do is going to be some, everybody's preference. But it doesn't matter. I guarantee you everything done here is done well. But everything, more importantly, is done to the glory of God. And you have people giving of their very best. And people given of the talents God has given them. And they share those with us. And our only choice is to follow them before the throne of God or just stay where we are. And when we choose to stay where we are, instead of worshiping, we're looking at our phone or we're thinking about this or thinking about that. I'm sure God's up in heaven going, two. They get a two. (laughs) As we offer ourselves to God... We receive God's peace. That's the trade. Upload, worship, download peace. Upload, worship, download peace. It is impossible to truly worship and worry. Because true worship takes all of you, and worry and worship are mutually exclusive realms of existence. The more you worship, the less you worry. The more you worry, the less you worship. Period. We get God in, it forces anxiety out. It's just that simple. The scriptures say, put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So the heavier you feel, the more anxiety, oppression, depression, other oppression, suppression, whatever it is you got, the more you got that stuff, the more you need to worship. The more you need to worship. And what's cool is when you're at church, Worship with us, but when you're at home, you get to worship to whatever you like. You know, if, if you like dueling organs for worship, uh, roll them, man, roll them. Uh, if if you you know if you're really into the first church of the Stratocaster, roll it. Whatever it is you do, whether you want to worship with Handel or you want to worship with Phil Keggy, it doesn't really matter. What matters is when you're home, roll with it. When your church choose. To go before the throne. It's it's the only choice we have. And I don't have much patience. People gripe about worship because not a one of them's worshiping. Not a one of them. My mom has had a tough stretch of health lately. And Sunday, when I wasn't here, I spent some time with my mom. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And so I saw her old Alvarez guitar that she's had ever since I was a boy. Though that's an ovation. Uh, <laughs> I saw her old Alvarez guitar and, and I tuned it up because you can download a Fender app now and tune it on your phone. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, and I started singing to her. Uh, I, I was singing the songs that she used to sing when I was a boy. And I was hoping she'd remember them. And she did. We sang Glenn Campbell, Try a Little Kindness. And we just sang songs she used to sing in church when I was a boy. And as I was singing to my mom, and she was just smiling, I had so many thoughts going through my head. But one of those reflections I recorded in a storybook I wrote a few years ago called Love God, Love People, Don't Do Dumb Crap. And this particular essay was called Charles Wesley and My Mom. Charles Wesley was the brother of John Wesley, and John was a force. But Charles was the musician of the group. So many of the great hymns, particularly great Methodist hymns, are Charles Wesley hymns. And churches have been singing Charles Wesley for two centuries. And I thought about my mom, and I thought about Charles. And I thought about this article that I wrote. So I'm just going to read it to you from the book. Charles Wesley and my mom, Pinckneyville Illinois circa 1972 the most important thing a church does is engage people in the worship of God so it does not surprise me that conflict in churches historically centers upon the way we worship Satan knows if he can get churches expending energy debating worship styles they will be all the less likely to actually worship In the Methodist tradition, Charles Wesley was hotly criticized for bringing tavern music into the church, and many of his hymns used popular English bar hall melodies. Never mind, they allowed non church people to feel at home in the church because they knew the tunes, and never mind that the lyrics formed much of their initial theology. Never mind, the Methodist movement transformed not only England, but America. Charles Wesley's methods were simply more than a good Anglican could stand. And that these tavern tunes would be accompanied by such a vulgar instrument as a piano <laughs> only exacerbated the historical tension. Good Anglican Christians asked, What is this world coming to? And Charles Wesley replied, The world's coming to Jesus. I remember the first time we did a chorus at the Oak Grove Baptist Church in Pinckneyville, Illinois in 1972 when I was a kid. I think it was the renegade song, His Banner Over Me is Love. I remember watching people cringe. They just cringed. After all, were we not singing a song accompanied by a guitar, the same instrument played by known drug user Jimi Hendrix? Were we not? participating blindly in what were quite possibly hand motions that may have been used in satanic rituals and other secret societies. Could anyone argue this song was to be found nowhere in the broad hymnal or hymnal of any kind, and thus not cleared by God for use in church services? And then I remember my mom's high school all-girl singing group, Joy. And I remember the Sunday they covered Simon Garfunkel's bridge over troubled waters right before Dad preached. Talk about troubled waters. (laughs) Forget that young people saw a connection between church and culture and everyday life for the first time. Forget that the lyrics had strong Christian implications and illustrated Dad's text perfectly. Forget that our church was literally filling up with young people. The guardians of tradition... We're sure that joy would soon break into the Rolling Stone satisfaction the very next week if things were not addressed and addressed now. Charles Wesley was singing in 1772, freaking out the Anglicans. And my mom was singing in 1972, freaking out the Baptists. So it certainly appears that whatever controversy you may think is happening in the wide, wide world of church music, it's certainly nothing new. True movements of God occur historically when the Holy Spirit temporarily breaks loose from legalistic religious traditions, and it continues until a new set of legalistic traditions are constructed. Revival happens in the spaces between the way we've always done things and the way we will soon be doing them. Revival happens in the moment just after we lose control and just before we regain control again. Revival happens in the short windows of opportunity when God raises up courageous leaders to move us from what has always been to what will soon be. It takes courage to try new things, to experiment with new expressions of worship, all the while holding to the unchanging gospel message of Jesus Christ. And to step out like that, you need leaders. So thanks, Charles Wesley. And thanks, Jan Bishop, for risking everything to connect people with Jesus Christ. It's by embracing these 12 defining characteristics that we are shaped into Christian people. And we are shaped into the church Of Jesus Christ. So we need individual shaping and then we need collective shaping. Salvation is an instantaneous gift, but to become a functional Christian and a contributing part of the church, particularly to become a leader, is something you're going to have to grow into. These 12 pieces of holiness gear serve as a criteria for evaluation, they serve as aspirational virtues and as Evidence, empirical evidence of a healthy Christian life and a healthy Christian community. You're not in full gear if you don't have on these 12 things. You're you're missing equipment. In the old days, baseball scouts would travel the country to watch high school and college baseball players who showed exceptional promise for becoming big leaguers. They literally traveled the country and watched baseball games. They worked off a standardized form called a scouting report that evaluated things like running and catching and throwing and hitting and hitting for power. They called the best prospects five-tool players. They did those five things, and they did them all. And there was also a place for the scout to write down some personal observations. Now, none of these players that were scouted were ready to play major league baseball. Now, the question was, could they one day be ready? Did they have the potential to one day be big leaguers? At the end of it, The scout made a recommendation to either pass or pursue the player. So here's what you need to hear. God has already made the choice to pursue you. You have been drafted. Congratulations. Congratulations. God picked you. You wouldn't be here if God hadn't picked you. He said, no, I chose to come here. Blag. If God hadn't chosen you, you wouldn't be chosen him. Everything happens at the initiative of God. God. So God has already made the choice to pursue you. You're on the team. You made it. You've been drafted, but now it's up to you and to the church to help you become the very best Christian you can possibly be to reach your full potential. So I thought we'd close tonight by scouting ourselves according to the 12 virtues described by Paul. And so we're going to ask the question, you've got a little thing in front of you, we're going to ask the question, uh, are we 12 tool Christians? How are we doing on this? If you don't have a form, raise your hand and somebody maybe can grab you one. Thanks, Joan. If you don't have a form, raise your hand. So what I want to do is just go through these. So here's how we'll play it. Nobody's going to look and you don't have to turn these in. If, If you feel like you should write your name on it, just write someone else's name, all right? We're good. I did that all the time in high school. So here we go. I want you to rate yourself from a one, meaning absolutely terrible, to a 10, meaning you feel like you got that nailed. Five means you're average, okay? You, 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 it's so-so for you. So let's go through these. Number one, are you merciful? Do you have mercy? When you see somebody in, in need, is your heart merciful toward them? Or do you think they're just thinking getting what they deserve, right? Mercy's a 10, what they deserve is a one. All right, number two, Kindness. Are you kind to people? Are you kind? Do you treat people really, really well that could never do a thing for you? I didn't ask if you're kind to your boss. Everybody's kind to their boss, to their face anyway. Um, how do you treat people can't do a thing for you? Are you kind? Number three, are you humble? I'm not asking if you lack self-confidence. That's not what we're talking about. I'm saying, do you have great confidence in God's ability to work through you. I can do all things through Christ is, a, is one of the most succinct statements of humility. Now, if you think you're all that in a bag of communion, way, first just give yourself a one. That's terrible. But if you have great confidence in Christ in you, that, that's what we're talking about that time. Gentleness. Are you gentle? You know, if you always blow your top and push people around and, you know... You're abrasive. Give yourself a one. Terrible. But if you could do all those things and choose not to, that's kind of what we're talking about. Number five, are you patient? Are you patient? Do you have patience? Do you stay in it? Because you believe that if you do, good will come of it. Patience. A lot of patience isn't really putting up with stuff. A lot of patience is finishing what you start. Because you'll believe you'll be better off for having done that. Allowances. Now, this isn't talking about when you do chores. This is, how are you at, at making allowance for weaker Christians, extra grace required people? Do you find yourself very gracious toward folks that need a little extra grace? Give yourself a 10. If you find yourself wishing they'd leave and go home and never return to your church, give yourself a one. That's what we're talking about. Number seven, forgiveness. We've all been hurt. I want to be very clear about that. All of us. But are you able to forgive people and move along? Or do you just harbor resentment? Resentment, give yourself a one. If you're able to forgive and move along, give yourself ten. Anything in the middle. Eight, love. Again, I want to caution you, love, unconditional love does not necessitate unconditional approval. God loves you unconditionally. God will never approve of your sin. So, do you love people in a God sort of way? Number nine, do you have peace in your heart? That's another one of those radical songs we sang, I got peace like a river. And then people were kind of going like this, and everybody was sure that was terrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you have peace in your heart? Number ten, are you thankful? You know whether you are or not. You know, we've got this idea that we're self made people. There are no self made people. Any good thing, any opportunity I have was provided to me by the sacrifices of other people, mainly in previous generations. If you think you're all that, that's the opposite of Thanksgiving. If you're entitled, I deserve. People always say that. You deserve that. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what I deserve? Hell and death is what I deserve. I'm saved by the grace shown me through Jesus Christ. Uh, 11. Wisdom. Are you wise? Do you make good, prudent decisions, or do you do a lot of dumb crap? Wisdom. And then number 10. Do you got a song in your heart? Or do you tend to rate the band? Rate the band's one. You get the one. Band's fine. Do you got a song in your heart? You know, I love it in the mornings when I commute. It's so funny because people are very unaware when they're in the car. You ever notice that? People in the car are unaware other people can see them. They they are. So they may just be digging in their nose like for 20 minutes, man, at a stoplight or something like that, you know? Uh, People, I mean, just look at them. But some people are just really joyful. I saw this lady, she had a hairbrush. I guess she decided that she was going to do her hair in the car, but she was singing. You know, she had her hairbrush just singing. You got a little joy in your heart, you know? If you got some joy in your heart, if you sing into hairbrushes and praise the Lord, give yourself a 10. If you're a nose digger, give yourself a 1. All right. Hopefully, this little list has helped you maybe identify some things you do well. It's your scouting report. And maybe some things you need to work on. There's nothing wrong with having things to work on as a Christian. Can I hear an amen? We just need to work on the same things. And the right things. Don't don't be under condemnation if like your average score is 1.2. Just work to get better. Just just get better. When I was in high school, there was a sign in my locker room. It said, "What you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift to God." I always like that. So let's strive to become 12 tool Christians. And if we're never all stars, let's strive to be better than we are. More kind. More loving. More forgiving. Let's just do better. Let's strive to be people that God could use for his glory. And a part of that is just being honest with ourselves. Just being honest with ourselves. There's some things I don't do very well. And I really want to do better. And there's other things I I don't do great, but I I do it a whole lot better than I used to. And that's when you go buy yourself an ice cream with sprinkles. Right? I'm all all the way up to blow average on that one. That's a win. Now, what I'd like you to do before we close is circle the two with which you most need God's help. That'll that'll probably be your lowest score unless they're all ones. And then just pick two randomly. Uh, Circle two with which you most need God's help. And I'm going to encourage you to begin praying that God would move in your life and that God would address these. On your behalf. Uh, And just begin to pray. Lord help me to be more patient. Lord help me to be more at peace. Whatever it is. Just begin praying that. Pray for wisdom. Pray for those two things. And let's believe. That God will shape us and sculpt us. Into the people we were created to be. I do not want to die a hint, a rumor, a taste, an echo, or a fraction of the person God created me to be. I want to die the person God created me to be. And if I'm not everything God created me to be, I want him to know I gave it my best shot to get there. And that I've given the Holy Spirit access to my heart to do in me what I can't do in myself. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we close tonight. Let's let's pray together. Almighty God, we are yours. You chose us. We may not be as good as we're going to be. Continue to do your work in each of us, especially in these two areas that we name before you. Just name your areas real quick, those two areas. Just name them. Especially these two areas we name before you. Make us into everything you created us to be. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.